Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here for this week's Know Your Foe episode. And we talked to Kevin Bowen, who uh, is with 93.5 The Fan and 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. He's here to tell us about the former Baltimore Colts, the current Indianapolis Colts. We won't hold that against him. Uh, talk about their game coming up with the Ravens on Sunday. Kevin, how you doing? Doing great, Ken. Always enjoy hopping on. So looking forward to Sunday. I appreciate it. Obviously, uh, Indianapolis, a, a big offseason in a couple different ways. Uh, the Jonathan Taylor uh, contract situation, anything you'd like to start with on that? Boy, it's been high-end drama. Uh, I feel like at times it's been a little seventh-grade type of relationship here with the public nature to it. But still on the pup list. We'll be on it for a couple more weeks, and then we'll kind of wait and see. Obviously, running back injuries have dominated the storylines mm-hmm. here early in the season. Um but I, I think both sides remain pretty far apart, and we'll see if you know the next couple of weeks they can come to some sort of resolution. Do they need to come to a resolution? I guess technically they don't. Taylor's camp would argue they do, uh, but certainly it's been a huge topic here in Indy. So one of the things, obviously, with the loss of Chubb in, in uh, Cleveland and, and the loss of Dobbins here in Baltimore, there has been a lot of talk about perhaps uh, his trade value increasing by the fact that these have happening and and lubricating the chance that he'll be moved uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, I think if you're a Colts fan or if you're just curious about the running back market, I mean, that's what you point to, you know, where are the injuries around the league, how hungry and or desperate are teams. If you go back to last year, San Francisco was three and three when they made the trade for Christian McCaffrey. So as we, I think October will tell a little bit more as we get into that, you know, near the trade deadline, if Taylor plays it all and he proves his health or proves whatever he, you know, might need to prove, you know, could that impact some stuff? And I mean, do the Colts have a change of heart? Uh, the the running back position has been two ends of the spectrum. Week one was one of the worst performances you'll ever see for a running back group. And then week two, Zach Moss did a really nice job in, in making his return to the lineup. So how that unfolds, I think in the next few weeks um, will be huge. All right. Well, let's move on to some of the more positive things. Obviously the, the drafting of Richardson uh, different places on other on people's boards, but I think most people agree uh, the most outstanding athlete of the quarterback prospects. Uh, talk a little bit about what he's been like through camp and into the first part of the regular season here. Yeah. I mean, if you put the kind of the injury questions to the side, I think you've got to be very pleased by what he's shown. Um, You know, his completion percentage has been north of 60. I know that was a major question exiting Florida. We haven't seen as much as the downfield attempts uh, as I thought we would, because I do think that's where he's at his best as a thrower. Uh, When you watch him at camp a little bit in the preseason, even at Florida, um, when he challenges the ball vertically down the field, there's great touch. There's obviously great arm strength. And I, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen it yet here in the regular season, really any attempts, let alone any completions. Uh, but he is a dynamic runner. Uh, and I think there's been some nice poise. You know, he's only played five quarters due to the injury that he suffered on Sunday. But I thought that Jacksonville game in the in the opener, he had some uh, nice moments as well. So one of the things that, that often happens with mobile quarterbacks is that they face a lot of zone defense. Has that been true of the Colts so far? Yeah, I, I I think that is something that um, he he has seen. I think there's an element too of um, they look at the Colts' wideouts though, and they think to themselves, can these guys win in man? Very often, I think that's a major question mark that you have, uh, especially with Alec Pierce, their their number two wideout. Michael Pittman's a guy that had a quiet first half against Jacksonville, but then he's been a lot better here 
as of late. I think the dynamic with Richardson, Ken, is do you spy him? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a big, big thing with and and you know playing zone versus playing man. Obviously, zone you get more eyes on the quarterback, so when he takes off, you know you have some you know more opportunities to uh, get a get a wrangle on him. Whereas if you're playing man, you know that's when you can take off and and have some of those big scrambles. So um, I, I think that's kind of a weekly storyline that I'm always watching is you know are teams willing to spy him? Do they hold that for third downs, things like that? Because again, when he has run this year, he has been pretty uh pretty effective. All right. Uh, Ravens just faced Joe Burrow this last week, a a, uh, player who currently seems to have not only some arm strength issues, which have always kind of been there. He's always had kind of mediocre arm strength, but also with the calf injury, seems to have some problems stepping into his throws, which may further have reduced his velocity and was not really able to take any good downfield shots against the Ravens. In fact, he went 0 for 7 with an interception for a 0.0 passer rating throwing the ball 15-plus yards this last week. Now, Richardson, much more of a guy who, who with a rocket arm um, that's not going to be as susceptible to closing windows as we saw. But I still think with a young quarterback and a lot of the things that happen, a lot of the um, mistakes that can happen, it's good to have eyes on the quarterback, generally speaking, on the back end. And if you can afford to play cover two because you don't you can, you can know, you don't respect the, the run game as much as – or the posing run game is not that challenging. Um, it's the way to go. Where, where has, has Richardson had more success, particularly versus zoner man so far? I, I don't think it's been an overwhelming one way or the other. Again, unfortunately, the sample size is still just a bit small because he has only played, you know, a little over five quarters. You know, he exited on on Sunday after the fourth series of the game. You know, Jacksonville. When 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 you look at that front, they certainly it was probably two tails of the half really. In that game, it was a nice rhythm early on. It's been a lot of underneath stuff from Richardson. It was a lot of right field to the right side of the of uh, of the field mm-hmm. attempts in that week one game. You know, there a lot of talk that that was more to do with the respect for Tyson Campbell. You know, one of the better I think young corners in this league, and kind of wanted to stay away from him when they did throw to the left side. Actually, it was a huge interception late in the game, which pretty much kind of iced it there. So, um, I think that is something that continue to watch with Richardson. I would personally spy him because, you know, I, I, I'd want to prove him, you know, that, that he can beat me from a throwing standpoint. Um, and then of course you, you, you can't, you know, ignore the elephant in the room, just where he is he at health wise after the concussion, you know, does he clear protocol, all of those things? Uh, because I do think on paper, you have to view this as one of, if not the toughest challenges Richardson would face in his rookie season, considering it's on the road against the quality defense. We saw what they did against, C.J. Stroud in week one, obviously Burrow last week, as you mentioned, and obviously the, it's a it's a unit that has a history of you know being pretty exotic and and and, and pretty multiple, and I don't think that's necessarily the case from uh, the first two opponents for the Colts. All right, uh, cap space. Let's talk about that. I always like to get that out of the way fairly early. The Colts, uh, you know, dealing with a modest amount of cap space going into the season, only about six million dollars, I believe. That's enough to get you through the season with injuries if they're at a normal level. But next year they have tremendous, so seventy-seven million or something of available cap space. Uh, how do you think the the Colts are likely to deploy that? Yeah, it's a great question. They have not been big spenders in the Chris Boward era in terms of that early part of free agency. I mean, I, I'm not telling your audience anything that is new, but I'm such a massive believer in uh, you support the quarterback, and just when you think you have enough 
support for the quarterback, particularly at the skill positions, you go above and beyond. I, I, I just think it's a must, particularly when you have a quarterback like Richardson, who, again, is really a unicorn in, in terms of coming into the NFL. 13 career starts in in college, um, you know, six and six. It's not even like he had the one year of, you know, whatever, what Cam Newton did at Auburn or something like that. I mean, this is a total unicorn prospect entering the league. Um, so I think it's vital the Colts do spend some of that. Again, it, it's a wideout group that doesn't have a lot of proven, proven guys there. We'll see what the Jonathan Taylor situation leads to. I mean, certainly they could pay Michael Pittman. They could pay Taylor. They could pay Grover Stewart. Uh, Kenny Moore is a free agent as well. So there are some notable Colts that are hitting the open market. Um, but at the same time, it's not like they have to re – they aren't paying big money for a quarterback right now or a left tackle or really a pass rusher either. So that's why I think they have so much cap space. Uh, but it would be a change of stance really from Chris Ballard if they go out there and, you know, whatever, give two or three, you know, double-digit million-dollar contract deals that just hasn't been a very common uh, common occurrence in the Ballard era. All right. All right. Fair enough. Well, maybe we start with the offensive line, and that's a, that's an area where, you know, I would I would ask if, if any of the money was going to be spent there next year. But uh, take us through from left to right and who's uh, who's there. Yeah, Bernard Ryman is a left tackle. It's his second year. Um, he was a European uh, growing up, an Austrian native. I came over to the States as a young teen and then played at Central Michigan, was actually a tight end initially, moved to tackle. Um, so he still is very young. This is his fourth ever year playing football at offensive tackle. He's had a really nice start to this season. Uh, he It was definition of baptism by fire last year for him. They threw him into the mix about midway point. I should say more like October, really struggled early on and then played better as the season moved along with Jeff Saturday coming into the fold. So um, I do think you got to like what you've seen from him so far, put on some weight in the off season. I am curious. Power is probably where he would struggle more than speed. So Ryman uh, was a guy, you know, I looked at, of course, in the, in the 22 draft and a guy who very short armed as a, as an offensive tackle. Uh, PFF loved him as far as being a guy who was very polished as a uh, as a, a tackle already, given even though he played so little in in terms of college. H- have we seen a lot of that polish at the NFL level really shine through? Fast learner. What, I mean, what is there to really like about Bernard Ryman? Yeah, they're obsessed with his makeup, and, and I just think willingness to you know make a transition from a Mac school with what, like you said, short arms and not a lot of weight. Um, that's the reason I think he fell to the third round. I know there were some mock drafts that had him going earlier than, than that. But once I think he's put on some of this weight, gotten used to kind of what NFL life is all about, I think he's been pretty steady. So um, I am curious, you know, if you throw more power rush at him, test that weight that he's put on, you know, can he handle that on a snap in, snap out basis? But I would say early on, and I, I don't have the PFF numbers in in front of me, but I'd say he's probably been the Colts' best offensive lineman here through the first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm of the season there obviously left guard is Quentin Nelson you know kind of goes without saying what what he is and and did have a toe injury in week one was a little banged up in practice last week but ended up playing it looked fine against Houston centers a question mark entering the week Ryan Kelly also suffered a concussion in that win over Houston the backup who did play fine in the second half is Wesley French he's actually the third string center their backup center Danny Pinter uh, suffered a season-ending injury in training camp. French had yet to play an offensive snap in the NFL until last week. Now I think I can fully acknowledge that Baltimore's front, what Baltimore will show, is a whole lot different than what Houston's going to show you. 
uh, and from an interior standpoint. Plus, you know, now Baltimore has a full week to potentially prepare for a third string center, whereas, you know, Houston didn't. Right guard, it's been a little bit of a surprise early in the year. It's probably the biggest question mark spot. That is Will Fries, a former seventh round pick out of uh, Penn State. Um, again, he, he's had a nice start, but I would think if there's an area where you want to challenge um, the Colts offensive line, assuming the full group is healthy, it would be there at right guard. Fries did play last season um, and then retained his starting job with really little competition in the offseason. And then right tackles Brain Smith. And I think people in the NFL are starting to know that name. It's been in the league for about five to six years. Uh, pretty quality tackle there. Um, did have a holding penalty on Will Anderson uh, back in uh, in the win on Sunday. But in general, it was a really good day for the unit and for Braden Smith. They allowed one hit and zero sacks. And I know you guys saw Will Anderson in week one. And I know He's a he player. Did. Yeah, he is, he is a player. And the Colts kept him pretty quiet all things considered. Granted, it helps when you get off to such a good fast start and, and, and you kind of force Houston to uh, play from behind. So of course, in, in, in Smith and Ryman, they have two of the shortest arm tackles in the entire league. It is something that I'm kind of known for is liking tackles with 34 plus inch arms. I, I don't like to see anything with a starting with a 32, certainly in a tackle, but, uh, but the, the Colts have, have essentially said that's not one of the factors we're drafting for, we're selecting for. And had a number of players come through that have been, you know, shorter armed offensive tackles. It's funny. Braden Smith was actually a guard at Auburn when the Colts drafted him. They thought guard more than tackle. Kind of a crazy circumstance played out in the 2018 season, his rookie year, where they were missing several guys. I think one of their players, if I'm not mistaken, I think his brother had been shot that week, so he was away from the team. They were in scramble mode on a short week. They put Braden, ta- Braden Smith out at right tackle. He had a nice performance against the Patriots, and he has never not been the right tackle since since then. So it wasn't necessarily by plan back in that 2018 draft, but it's worked out for him. Ryman, you know, was always kind of going to be that that left tackle. So usually the makeup is the tall, athletic. You know, there's like tight end background and virtually all of the tackles that they draft. But it is interesting to note that uh, both of those short arm guys. It's probably the shortest pair of you know tackle arms. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's go into the wide receivers. Talk through those. Yeah, wideout wise, um, I think it's fair to call it a a question mark. Michael Pittman's in a contract year. Um, I always say this about Pittman: um, there's no USC pretty boy in his game. He he went to USC, but you can see the son of a you know ten year NFL running back when you watch his style. He had a big uh, screen and run for a touchdown in the season opener. Uh, he's six four two twenty. He makes a lot of his plays after the catch and just kind of running angry, and um, he's not a guy that's easy to bring down. You're going to see a lot of screens and just a lot of get the ball in his hands and make the other team tackle him. Uh, he's a pretty good blocker as well, so he is the most heavily targeted wideout without question. I'll probably go into the slot for the number two guy. That would be rookie Josh Downs out of North Carolina. I know fans maybe in your area that watch the ACC. I mean, Josh Downs absolutely torched. Uh, opponents over the last couple of years, just kind of your ideal slot. Um, he's been pretty effective here early in the season as well, and uh, him and Richardson are pretty close. So um, I, I'd expect that duo to have uh, kind of a big partnership here over the next few years. Alec Pierce is the other outside wideout. Very quiet start to the season despite a lot of snaps for him. He's probably been, I don't know, 120-some snaps and maybe four or five targets. Uh, if that, and so again, it's been very quiet from Pierce. The thing about him is 
He is a big play potential guy. He even showed that as a rookie. He certainly showed it at Cincinnati. Think outside of the numbers, throw up a ball to him, 50-50 opportunity, and his volleyball background is kind of what helps him excel in that area. But the Colts haven't attempted any of those balls with him this year. So he's one that a lot of Colts fans are like, man, is this just a one-trick pony? And if you roll over a safety, then all of a sudden you've taken him away from the uh, from the game. So I think that is something – uh, to keep an eye on Isaiah McKenzie would be the other one. Hasn't played a whole lot. Um, came over from Buffalo in the off season. Think gadget guy when he is in the game, uh, you know, just something to bring him in motion, get him in the backfield, quick screen, something like that to uh, just get him, uh, get him touches. All right. Very good. One of the things I really noticed from the 21 game was just how much wiggle the Colts receivers had at the top of the stem that, that they really, we're getting the Ravens cornerbacks to guess wrong, particularly in the early part of that game. Obviously, the Ravens made a, made a good comeback, but uh, is is a lot of that still there? Paris Campbell was a guy. Is he still with the Colts now? Or is no. He- yeah, he's with the Giants now and moved on in free agency. I mean, honestly, this position group would probably worry me the least if I was Baltimore. I don't think there's a lot of individual one-on-one elite playmaking within the unit. Um, I think it's a lot of stuff that you have to scheme up, really, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, I don't think there's that dynamic third and four. This is the guy that we're coming to, and he wins more often than he doesn't. I think that's a major question that the Colts have here. Um, so I, I I don't view this as a position of too, too much worry. Again, Pittman is a guy that can play to his size at times and certainly can make some plays after the catch. You know, as long as you keep Pierce away from those deep balls that they haven't tested at all this season, Downs is going to be more kind of a death by a thousand paper cuts sort of slot wide out. So yeah, wide out wise, I, I I wouldn't be too overly worried. Okay, all right. Well, let's move to the running back. In the absence of uh, of Jonathan Taylor, what's been going on there? Yeah, so week one was a disaster without Zach Moss. Deion Jackson had a really really poor game, ball security and yards per carry standpoint. They got Moss back for last week, and he played every snap but one. And in today's NFL, you know how rare that is for a running yeah. back to play every snap but one. Uh, nearly five yards per per carry for him. He is a big old tree trunk guy. You know, he runs four six in the forty, so he's not running away from you. But he is a one cut downhill. The first guy doesn't often get him to the ground. It's kind of his specialty. You know, in Buffalo, he never really became the bell cow at all, um, but certainly was that last week, and I would assume will be that until Jonathan Taylor gets back here in uh, week five. All right, very good. We didn't get we didn't hit on the tight ends at all. If you want to do that real quickly before we move on, yeah, it's a group that you know plays a lot of guys: Mo Ali Cox, uh, rookie Will Mallory, Drew Ogletree, and then um, Kylan Granson as well. Think of Granson as kind of the H back guy of you know a little or more of kind of like an F tight end, a guy that can you know not a huge huge guy, probably more of a hybrid wideout tight end than anything. Uh, Ali Cox is a big former VCU product playing basketball. Um, it doesn't get a lot of targets, doesn't make a lot of stuff happen downfield, but you throw it to him, you better tackle because he's six seven and 260. And then Ogletree and Mallory, a couple day three picks in the last couple of drafts, um, and they've had a moment or two just down the seam. Mallory ran the fastest 40 of any tight end at the combine. He made a play in open field, just kind of a busted coverage, but had a nice catch and run against Houston. So those are a couple guys just to uh, just to keep an eye on. In terms of personnel groupings and how they like to to line up, are they a, a substantial amount of 12, given they have four tight ends active on the roster? Yeah, I, I'd say that. Downs has also played a good amount of snaps. So, you know, you're still getting into that 11 um, 
in playing the three wideouts. Pierce and Pittman have been on the field for pretty much every single snap all season long. Tight end wise, they do rotate a decent amount, and I would say yeah, yeah kind of hovering in with the two tight ends and the one when uh, when Downs is on the field. All right. Uh, now the Ravens have obviously a very significant weakness at cornerback coming into this game. They they're without Marlon Humphrey. Their backups have looked good against a small ball play from Burrow against uh, a, you know a rookie and Stroud. Um, how would you expect them to go after the Ravens cornerbacks in this game? Well, I think a lot depends on who is playing quarterback. You know, if it is Gardner Minshew, you know that is going to be kind of dink and dunk central. Um, you know, Gardner I think played against Baltimore a couple of years ago, and if you mm-hmm. look at that. That game, I mean, he was a 70% guy, and he's had moments of like that. He had another one in relief on Sunday when he came in for Richardson early in the second. Um, if Richardson's out there, obviously there's the run element. There's going to be a whole lot of RPO, a whole lot of zone read, and I'm kind of waiting for the stuff to be testing defenses vertically. We still have yet to see that, and again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. That's kind of a strength of him. Um, so I would think given the corner issues or corner questions, however you want to describe them, you would see some of that, but we've kind of yet to see it so far. It's been a lot of get it out quick, you know, kind of simple reads, which is understandable with a with a rookie. So um, I'll be very curious to see who's under center, how that kind of leads to um, what the offense looks like in general. Because to be fair, it is two very, very different playbooks. All right, let's flip over the defense for a while. And one thing I like to like kind of talk about are the way they're committed nickel team. Do they have different looks? Do they like to bring in a dime on third down? What do they What do they look like? Yeah, not a big dime team at all, really. Um, you know, they will play actually. I would say a decent amount of base for an NFL team. The three linebackers, Zaire Franklin, Shaquille Leonard, and EJ Speed. I think that's probably their strongest. Position group. Um, the third corner is Daryl Baker Jr. He really had a rough game against Houston. Nico Collins in that right side of the field. They found a lot of success at um, the interesting note about their corners. Kenny Moore is their slot. He's been their mainstay. He also plays outside on the early downs when they're in base. But their two outside corners and nickel are two undrafted free agents from last year. So wow. it's a very, very inexperienced wow. group. Um, something you typically don't see. And again, Baker Jr., he didn't play a single defensive snap last season in the NFL. Dallas Flowers is number 33. He's the other outside corner. He didn't play a single defensive snap until the final four games of last year. So it's not like these undrafted guys played, you know, whatever, 8, 10, 12 games in their rookie years. Um, So it's a very, very youthful outside corner duo. Um, Again, Kenny Moore is out there. For every snap, so when they get into nickel, you can test. I'd probably test Baker, uh, right side of the field, um, number thirty-nine more than I test Flowers, thirty-three. Uh, but still, I'll be curious. You know, Jacksonville. If you go back and watch that game, there were some moments where you felt like the Colts had decent coverage, but at those moments of truth, Jacksonville dominated the game. I mean, Zay Jones and Evan Ingram and, and Ridley and um, try to think who the other guy is. Christian Kirk. All those guys made some big kind of you know, moment of truth plays when it looked like the Colts were in decent coverage, whereas against Houston, yeah, some of it is you have a lead and you're probably being a little bit prevent, but still uh, Baker Jr. struggled in tackling as well. So how he plays here coming up, uh, we'll be very curious to uh, keep an eye on. All right. Let's, let's move to the defensive line, talk a little bit about uh, how they rotate. Uh, do, do they play some fairly set personnel? I know this, this is a place where – uh, DeForest Buckner, for example, had played a high percentage of snaps in the past. How are they dividing out playing time this year? 
Yeah, I'd argue it's maybe the most stout defensive tackle duo in the NFL with Buckner and Grover Stewart. Stewart, think of him as more the nose. Buckner, more the three technique. Um, I'd also argue they probably play some of the highest snap totals for defensive tackles in the NFL. Uh, really stout. Um, just have absolutely feasted upon the two offensive lines they've played so far. To be fair, Jacksonville was a little banged up. Houston was really banged up. And so you're kind of taking advantage of an obvious on-paper advantage. Houston had four guys out. Jacksonville even had a couple. So um, it's a group that I think the interior is a little bit better than the outside. I do think the outside duo of Pay and Samson Ebukam had a few more moments this past week. Uh, But again, don't think of the dynamic speed 10-12 sat guy. They really don't have that. I don't even know if they have that in the reserve group. It's more of a stunting group, and you know, even some of their edge guys that are in sub packages, you would consider them more interior guys um, at at different points. They certainly rotate, but that defensive tackle duo again is one that you just don't want to take off the field very often. Right. All right. Uh, at, at inside linebacker, right? I, it's really, I guess, they play a four three, right? So it's really the the uh, off ball linebackers. Talk a little bit about them. Yeah, so let's start with Franklin, number 44. Um, you know, when when Leonard went down a couple of years ago, Franklin's now been an every snap guy, high tackle guy. Um, showed some playmaking in week one that we hadn't really seen um, too much of him from, from last year. But he's your quarterback of the defense, you know, big-time leader, all of those things. Leonard is coming back from the injury, and he's on a little bit of a pitch count. Um, you know, I think he's earned the reputation around the league for being a very dynamic playmaker and taking the ball away. But that is a question mark considering he's had two back surgeries in the last 15 months. And just, again, where he's at uh, from a high, high-level playmaker for an off-ball linebacker, you typically don't see that. Um, that is something that is a major question mark for him. And EJ Speed's number 45. He had a sack last night. He's their third linebacker, or, um, I should say on, on Sunday. He's their third linebacker, but tall, lanky, pretty athletic guy. They re-signed him in the offseason. They like him a lot. So, again, from a trio of linebackers, um, I think it's a pretty good group. The question is, you know, Leonard, can he get back to being that elite, elite guy? So two questions come to mind with regard to that group. The first is, so it's Franklin, not Leonard, who has the green dot at this point, given Leonard's injury yep. problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and the second is, in terms of coverage ability for those three guys, are, are they guys you can trust in zone coverage? Yeah, I think that is an area that you could test a little bit. You know, Franklin's a guy that isn't blessed with the athletic gifts of a speed or a Leonard. He probably makes up for it, you know, mentally. He was, I think, the first three-year captain at Syracuse in like 100 years. So, you know, athletically, kind of testing that, you know, is something to keep an eye on. And then with Leonard, I think it's just one thing where, you know, last year at times he looked like a liability on the field. I haven't seen that in week one or week two. But still, I think if I were opposing team and I thought, okay, a linebacker I want to see in space, I might test him a little bit just to see where he's at athletically with some of that. Speed's a guy I wouldn't test too much just because he is blessed with some pretty good athletic gifts. So the Ravens have not really shown too much of their ability to take the top of a defense this year. They have the speed to do it a, a little bit. They need to be a little bit careful with their offensive line in terms of taking too long for plays to develop as things stand right now. Uh, but I, one of the questions about the linebackers that I has come up for Ravens linebackers now for a number of years, really since CJ Mosley left, is that there's been a lack of players who really understood what was going on behind them. And I know that's very difficult to groom, 
in a, in a linebacker. It's usually one of the last things I'm commonly reminded of this, that linebackers learn how to do properly is understand what's going on behind level two and level three so they can really combat both play action and diagnose route combinations in the line of scrimmage that tell them where's the threat coming from behind them so they can get in the passing lane without having to look back and see what's happening. Yeah, I think that'll be something that, um, you know, from a front seven standpoint, it's a little bit more of an experience unit. You get to the back end, even the safeties are a little bit young as well. Rodney Thomas is their free safety. Uh, it's his second year, seventh round pick out of Yale from last year. Julian Blackman's made a position switch to strong safety. And we talked about the youth at those outside corner spots. And I thought there were some moments on Sunday where it's heavy zone. It's Gus Bradley. You're going to get a ton of cover three, those sorts of things. I thought you saw just a little bit of leakage there. Um, and obviously Lamar's had a really, you know, consistent start to the season from a you know completion percentage standpoint. So I will be curious just to see how that group reacts from, you know, what I thought was probably one of the few negatives from uh, from Sunday. All right. All right. Um, how do you expect them to defend the Ravens? You, you're expecting you. I mean, you mentioned just more zone defense, but in terms of, of flowers and what you've seen from him in the first couple of games, he's a very dynamic player, obviously dedicated safety to him, you know, zone, zone matchups uh, on each side. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would think a dedicated safety. I mean, just to make sure that you don't try and get beat deep. I, I know it's kind of the new trend in the NFL, but it does feel like the Colts are ones that are going to be a little bit more prone to keeping Thomas, especially number 25, as far back as possible. And, you know, try to avoid that big play happening. Obviously, it was an incredible play that he made against Cincinnati. And I think the Colts have yet to really face that. Houston, obviously not very dynamic at all at wideout in Jacksonville. They certainly made some plays, but it wasn't like over the top or getting behind you back into the defense sort of thing there. So um, I do think that'll be something to keep an eye on. And if you go back, Ken, I mean, I know staffs have changed a little bit, but you go back to that Monday night game a couple of years ago. I mean, it's just such a crazy game. And Mark Andrews is really the biggest issue. I think he had 11 for 147. He had the big touchdowns, the big two-point conversions in yep. that comeback. Tight ends have given this team more of an issue. So I do think that would be something that I'm going to keep my eye on. And obviously, you know, health for Odell Beckham and all of that. Okay. And we'll see about, about whether or not Beckham plays. Uh, you know, the Ravens pass rush obviously may be short a man if, if Adafi Owe is hurt. Uh, it's, it's always the kind of the hammer of doom when you hear them saying, we know we have a lot more information, but we're going to keep it under our under our uh, under wraps for a while. It's not a good thing about Adafi Owe. I know it's it's it probably means he's going to be out this week, but we'll, we'll see how that uh, how that plays out. How about giving a player on each side of the ball you think matches up really well against the Ravens? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, I health wise, I, I guess the interior of the O line, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but a little bit banged up right now. So mm -hmm. you know what Grover Stewart and Forrest Buckner look like. I mean, Stewart, I know is not going to earn you know national Pro Bowl praise, but just go back and watch the first snap of the Houston game. And yes, Houston, you know, had injuries at center as well, but Stewart can do this on a routine basis where he just sets the tone up front and is able to absolutely control the line of scrimmage, control the interior. And for a, you know, Ravens running game that obviously has a ton of multiple elements to it. If you can just trust your defensive tackles, kind of take away and eat up anything up the middle, that's huge. Um, so, I mean, that'll be something to watch considering the health of Baltimore's O-line. And you kind of flip it over offensively. I hate to be so much quarterback centric, but to me, it's just 
it's the storyline that we're talking about here in Indy this week. It's just, does Richardson play or not? Because when he has played, you know, it's been very dynamic and it's, it can test you and, and stress you. And he, you at least have to account for a lot. You know, eye discipline's got to be huge. And you just watched the couple series that Richardson had on Sunday. It was pl- pretty flawless. I mean, he completed five or six balls, I want to say, uh, on that opening drive that, that ended in a touchdown, just a really easy touchdown run. And then um, just a beautiful bootleg concept that they scored on the second touchdown, which ended up he suffered that concussion. So I know Baltimore certainly sees, you know, this offense in training camp and everything like that or elements of it. Um, but the Richardson offense, I think, is going to stress you a lot more than Minshew. You know, for the most part, you know what's going to be there with Minshew. It's going to be an underneath, accurate, on-target, you know, good timing, but there's not going to be the run threat. There's not going to be much of the vertical passing game threat either. All right. Kevin, outstanding stuff. Thank you for giving a, a detailed run-through on the Colts personnel and some of their scheme. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work online. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ken. Uh, 107.5 The Fan, that's our website. So i got written content up there, and you can follow me uh, on Twitter at a KBowen1070. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you're looking to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. Always open to new ideas. This is how I meet people. Really love to do it. Promise to get back to you very quickly. Kevin, thanks again for joining us. You bet, Ken. Looking forward to Sunday. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.